of freedom come new levels of repression, suppression, and silencing of true speech driven by a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? I don't think so. So how does the truth avoid being a casualty? It finds an ally. The Truth News Network. And your conductor on this underground railroad is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas weekend. My goodness, here we are already, two days until Christmas, and we got an early Christmas present. We are thankful that Congressman Mike Johnson was able to join us this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, Dan. Merry Christmas. I hope you all are having a good one. Well, it's 10 degrees in your hometown, buddy. I just want to tell you. <laughs> it's cold here, and we're not used to that. You're in the, You're from the South. You know how it is. Um, yeah. I remember many Christmases, buddy, where we were in Destin, Florida, in uh, shorts and sandals at Christmas time. Not today. Uh huh. Not today. Not this year. No, I was I was talking with my newly elected colleague to the Congress last night, John James of the state of Michigan, and um, I told him it was going to be ten or or eight degrees in in my hometown in Louisiana today, and he said, "Oh, that's cute." <laughs> <laughs> Michigan, you know, it's, yeah, like, that, it's like 30 below in his hometown. Right that, that's another day in town. That's all that is. <laughs> that's right. Well, <laughs> it's cold here, and I'm sure D.C. is cold too, but not on the legislative side. Things are really hot in Congress. And i got to be honest with you, the actions that have been taken so far, and you guys haven't voted yet on this monster omnibus bill. You're going to do that sometime today, right? Right. Sometime in the next couple of hours, uh, we're awaiting on the processing of the paperwork. You know, it, it takes a while because the bill is 4,155 pages long. And of course, we didn't get that until one thirty in the morning on, on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to spend $1.7 trillion. It's, it, I, I've just, in, in short summary, Dan, I've called it the worst government funding bill in the history of Congress. It's at least tied for the top two or three. Uh, it's just a debacle in every single way. And we should not be doing this at, at such a dangerous time in our history. Well, one quick comment, and I want to launch into a bit of that. Um, it's longer than the Bible. Yep, by and far. I, <laughs> and, and, not, and not many people have read the Bible, and we know not many people, if any, will ever read this entire bill. It's just insane. Of course. No, of course. If we had to read it, moment, see, and if I put, you know, on it with me, and we read line by line, not only could we scare through the bill, but we certainly not have time to properly digest and analyze it right sure and and the over the overall problem with this thing is that process itself you know if 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 you had a good civics and history class in high school our listeners you'll remember that you know there's there's a process by which congress spends all of the taxpayers dollars right there, there yeah. there's a long the process it's a year or more you do 12 individual uh, uh, appropriations bills, you know, and, and they're they're categorized by by topic and category so that you can go through this very deliberative, careful uh, 
stewardship process of spending the money wisely. You have to have debates on each individual area of policy and expenditure and amendment process and all that. None of that happens anymore. None of it. This bill literally, Dan, I'm not making that. This is not hyperbole. This bill was literally drafted in a back room by about five to 10 people, really the four top elected leaders in, in both houses. So you have the you have Schumer and Pelosi for the Democrats. You have McConnell, McCarthy, and their top lieutenants. Those those are the people that drafted this legislation. No one else. And so we rank and file members. And I'm in House leadership, Dan, as you know. Yeah. I'm the vice oh, yeah. chairman of the House. Republican. I'm the number five Republican in Congress. I had no say or no preview of this bill until 1.30 a.m. On, on Tuesday morning. It's called – it's, it's, criminal. It's criminal. It's called regular order, and you've talked to us extensively about what it is. A bill that's introduced, it goes, it's assigned out, goes to the respective committees. They do their debate and add or discuss adding amendments. Then when they get a finished product, they take a vote on whether it should go back to the floor to be considered. And then the floor, on the floor, every piece of it is debated. And if if you come up with a consensus, then the floor and either the House or the Senate, the full Senate, the full House, they vote on it. And then if it's passed, it goes to the other side, and they go through the same process. This is from Tuesday until today in existence. This is insane. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it's outrageous. And <clears throat> in, instead of funding each federal agency one by one, you know, where you have a roll call vote for each, you, what, what, we, what they've done here is just all the agencies have been lumped in together yeah. right before – end of year deadline we, we run out of money tonight yeah uh, you know yeah. the federal government would shut down so they they literally wait till the very last minute you have dozens of unrelated policies attached to this i mean there's things in this bill then electoral college changes uh cosmetics regulation you know health care policy salmon fishing regulations you know <laughs> horse racing rules I mean, all this stuff is jammed into this massive bill that no one will read or understand under the guise of, of government funding. And, and, and it, it, the process is as ugly as the substance itself. And, and we have to get back to regular order. We've made that commitment for when the new Congress begins in the House. Uh, and, and I tell you what, every voter in this country better hold Congress accountable to that because this is absurd. One more thing about that, and we want to jump to another. Um, after... The House takes control, the Republicans in the House take control January 3rd, I believe. Can you start peeling back any of the parts of this spending bill that's being passed today? Well, yeah, we can, and, we, and we'd better. Um, you know, the House has the, the power of the purse strings, as often said. We The, the funding mechanisms and all of that um, is within our jurisdiction, and so... There are so many reforms. You know, the, the, the problem is right now that we're completely overwhelmed with the urgency and the number of reforms that, that absolutely must be made to save the republic. I mean, this is not like, you know, I'm not being dramatic or hyperbolic here. The, the, the Biden administration has made an absolute disaster, catastrophe of almost every category of public policy. And so um, we have so much to do. And the problem is we're going to have a razor thin majority, as everybody knows now, infamously. We, we, um, we're going to have probably a four seat majority in the House. That might even change. Um, and and uh, we, we do not have control of the Senate. And so 
obviously our legislative agenda is going to be very difficult to get over the line, probably impossible. And even if it did pass muster with 60 votes in the Senate, Biden's going to veto it. So you're going to, what you're going to see is a stark contrast between the two parties, the two visions, the two uh, governing philosophies for the next two years. And it will set up an epic battle for control of the Senate and the House and the White House, of course, in 2024. Those 18 Republicans in the Senate that voted for this thing, I hope they realize they have targets on their backs legislatively. <clears throat> there is no explanation did you hear what Mitt Romney said, his reason for voting for it? He did not trust, no, not, he did not, not trust you, he did not trust you, your fellow Republicans <laughs> in the House, to take over and do a legitimate funding process. The Senate needed to do it instead. That's what he said. Wow, I'm so glad. Aren't you glad we have real grown-ups like Mitt Romney in charge? Wow, what a... What a <laughs> What a visionary. One more it's thing. One more thing on budgeting. Do you think there's any possibility for us ever to get a balanced budget amendment and to have a government that balances a budget? Is that ever going to happen? We're going to fight like warrior poets for that. We produced a balanced budget uh, in, in the Republican Study Committee. Every year we publish one. I mean, we, it is it is possible, and we've shown the roadmap how to do it. It takes political courage, and it takes the votes, of course. And so because of those margins we just discussed – I don't think we're going to get that done the next two years, but I do believe that going into 24, if we if we are able to take control again, then then it has to be a top priority. If we don't, Dan, you and I know we talk about this all the time. The country's not going to survive this. I mean, we, yeah. we are we are right now we're at 128 uh, percent debt to GDP, right? So I mean, in, in layman's terms, we're broke, folks. We, we're at we're past the point of bankruptcy, and we're borrowing money from China and other creditors just to stay afloat. And as the interest rates continue to rise and the, and the interest on the debt, the federal debt alone goes up, um, it, this is not a sustainable trajectory. So we have to balance the budget. We have to. And, you know, most of the state legislatures, many of them do that. In Louisiana, our home state, there's a, you know, you have to balance the budget every year. That's the only thing that keeps the thing on, on the rails at all. And it's still a mess. You know, if the state legislatures can do it, the Congress certainly should. we got to get back to some sanity. And the only way we voters can weigh in on that is in the voting booth. We can't recall. I mean, the recall stuff is just a farce. It, it It's virtually impossible to do. And members of Congress that write all those laws, they understand that. Is it? The only way we can do anything about it as voters is in two years. That's right. And, and to properly vet every candidate who runs, they need to be asked, pressed for their answers on these very important questions. I mean, these are overriding concerns. What will we do about the nation's fiscal sustainability? And and you need to know where that what they believe about that because that's going to indicate how they vote. So moving away from Congress, let's go to the White House for a second. Can any hmm. president arbitrarily spend billions of dollars without consulting Congress? No, that's that's not the way this is supposed to work. And and of course, the other problem is, I mentioned earlier, our exhaustion with, with the Biden administration and just trying to, uh, to to challenge them on everything they do. Um, but much of these uh, overreaches with executive orders, for example, 
um, we have no mechanism to stop it except to go to the third branch of the federal government, which is the courts, of course. And so you can challenge it in court, but everybody knows that takes quite a bit of time. Um, there, there has been some success in that arena. I mean, some of the former Trump administration officials peeled off and started legal organizations. Stephen Miller, for example, who many yeah. people know from his yeah. ubiquitous TV interviews, um, he started America Legal uh, America First Legal, which is a uh, nonprofit litigation organization, public interest group, uh, that do a lot of the work that I used to do before I got to Congress. And they litigate constitutional law cases and some of these challenges. And so they file challenges to these executive orders. They've had success. They have been able to, um, you know, turn back the tide and get some of them uh, ruled unconstitutional. But the problem is it's the flood again. We have so much of that work to do. We only have so many lawyers and so much fun mechanisms. And so We'll keep challenging that and see what happens. I forget which executive order it was, but Biden laughingly made the statement. I know the courts are going to get this and probably overturn it, but until they do, we're just going to push forward with it. That's well, he says the quiet part out loud, but you know, inside the White House, they know that the vast majority of what they're doing is is on its face unconstitutional. I mean, the, you know, the the student loan forgiveness uh, debacle. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They knew that he didn't have the authority to do that, to spend that kind of money and make that kind of policy change it's unilaterally. It's, it's crazy. But um, they did it anyway. Sorry for that sound effect there. They, they did it anyway. And um, and, and he, he did it because he did it on the eve of the election, knowing that he would get some bounce out of that. Um, and when it ultimately gets struck down, he's like, oh, well, shrug their shoulders. Well, we got votes out of it, you know. Constitutionally, another question for you. Is there any kind of way for the Congress to hold the president liable for not enforcing federal immigration laws. Our southern border is, it's, it's becoming the most critical thing, that whole issue for every American. 600,000 criminal acts were committed against Texans alone in two years. Everything from first-degree murder down to breaking and entering. That's because the yeah. border's open. Biden will not enforce federal immigration laws. What can be done? Well, I think it's a, I think it's criminal negligence at a minimum, and it's clearly by design. It is intentional. Um, DHS Secretary Mayorkas and other Biden administration officials, with the full approval of the president, of course, engineered this crisis. This is intentional. They did it uh, for, on purpose. Because ultimately, their hope is that they're going to flood the country with illegals and turn them all into Democrat voters at some point. I mean, that's not a hidden agenda anymore. We got to admit that uh, Chairman Jerry Nadler in the House Judiciary Committee admitted that to me in a, in a colloquy back and forth in a viral video. That's what they're doing in New York City. They allow illegals to vote in municipal elections. They want to do that nationwide. So that's, that's why this is happening. And so they can repeatedly go before Congress and lie to us under oath. Mayorkas has lied to Congress multiple times, more times than we can count. He, he insists that the border is secure. I mean, it is, it, it, it's beyond uh, a joke. It's, it's, uh, it's a great catastrophe for the country. I mean, listen, the Border Patrol officials warn they're going to they're gonna face as many as 14,000 illegal migrant encounters a day, every day. As soon as Title 42 ends, and that is imminent, of course, everybody's heard so much about all that. Um, we we can't we can't stop this flow. There's going to be five about five million people uh, who have come across that border just since Biden took office two years ago. The 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 untold effects of this, the 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 untold negative consequences that emanate from this, you can't even calculate 
the the price of it. I mean, fentanyl overdoses have led to it's the number one cause of death for Americans age 18 to 49, um, fentanyl poisoning. And and it floods over the border just openly. It's manufactured in China. It's sent to the cartels in Mexico. They're making billions of dollars. By the way, that that fuels their human trafficking operations. Um, you know, the, the the sex trades and all that. We have we have hardened criminals coming across the border because of course we have no idea who's who all's come in. We know there are known terrorists on the terrorist watch list. I mean, are they setting up cells around the country? It just goes on and on and on. And by the way, American taxpayers are funding uh, the, the care of all these criminals coming across the border. You know, they're, they're getting welfare benefits. They're getting government assistance. They're getting housing in New York. They have these wonderful uh, places where they go. They keep the American homeless out on the streets and they house illegals and care for them like they're some sort of heroes. I mean, it's just it is unbelievable. The American people are finally waking up to it. All the mainstream media outlets are having to cover it finally, and and hopefully we'll get some action. But we're going to have to fight the Biden administration tooth and nail, step by step. So it's just incredible. I've actually heard out of the White House them say when they were asked about funding, direct funding by the Biden administration for this, and they say very famously, "Oh, we're not into that. We have nonprofits that are picking these people up and taking care of them. It's on them." What they're not telling right. us is those NGOs. The Biden administration is funding them, giving them billions of dollars with which our taxpayer dollars to take care of those illegal immigrants. It's just all, everything's under the table. There's no transparency. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and you know, as we say now all the time, and we have been saying for two years, every state is a border state. This isn't just your concern if you live in, you know, South Texas. This they're they're shipping them all around the country. These illegals and, and we have look. These people are breaking the law. We we're a nation of immigrants. We know that. That's what made America what we are. We embrace our legal immigration system, but these people are are willfully, defiantly violating our law, and they're doing it with the blessing of the exact federal agencies that are supposed to be stopping it. They're, they've welcomed them with open arms. And that's why I think Mayorkas is going to be impeached. I mean, he's coming before my committee. Um, I'm on, on record. I started saying this a year and a half ago. The guy was intentionally doing this, and it's a, clearly a violation of our federal laws. He's got to go. And we put him on notice. He'll be at those hearings will start hopefully by mid-January. We're going to build the record and we're going to show the American people why he must be re- removed. And he, he should resign before then. But if he doesn't, I have a I have a high degree of confidence. At least we're going to impeach him in the House and we'll see what the Senate does. I defy them to keep that guy in, in place. State of Texas, state of Arizona, because the federal government's not protecting the border at their southern edges. They have both tried on their own to stop this illegal immigration. Uh, Governor Ducey right. of, of uh, Arizona, he put up those containers, double stacked them across one open area between the fences and put razor wire up there. Yesterday, the Biden administration won a lawsuit against the state of Arizona. He's got to remove those things so it'll be open again. How can this stand? How can how can any administration get away with something like this? Well, the, the, the media has given them a pass because unless you watch Fox News, You've not seen any of the video or heard any of this uh, for the last two years. I mean, it, it it quite literally has been buried, and and now, of course, we know with all the the Twitter scandals that um, you know the the release of the files that 
you know, this this was they were colluding with the Biden administration in so many ways. I mean, the FBI, we sent a letter. Our House Judiciary Committee sent a letter to FBI Director Chris Wray yesterday um, to let him know we're investigating the politicization and the abuses of the FBI itself. Um, you know, they were colluding with big tech, censoring these stories, censoring conservatives online. They were doing it in a permanent and ongoing surveillance operation. Imagine that the federal government teaming up with big tech to bury these stories. You know, <laughs> that's why the American people are not outraged like we are. Dex. They don't know about it. They're just now waking up and learning. Oh, my goodness. We have a we have an open border. There's a you know, they don't know that unless you watch Fox News or you're into these you know channels that we're on. You don't see any of that. And that's that's part of the big problem here. Later in our show, we're going, to, we're going to talk about the latest about the FBI. They it came out yesterday when they were asked, and they totally denied having any conversation with the Biden folks during the campaign about anything. Mm. And, of course, some of that showed up in the, uh, in the Twitter files. One last thing, and I'll let you get back to uh, what you got to do here in a couple hours. And vote no, please, Congressman. Vote no. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Has there been any meaningful effort yet, and can it even happen, doing away legally with presidential earmarks? Uh, well, so it's it's a it's a term that's often misunderstood. When they say earmarks, they they're talking about typically when you hear that term, you're 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 talking about members of Congress who are tagging specific projects in their district, right? Um, and it got a bad name because it was used so many years ago um, and, and it just got out of control. Um, the, the, the counter argument on the earmark thing is, is some people say it's not an earmark, it's congressionally directed spending. Okay, yes. well, yes. it gets out of control. But like, so in our system, you have to remember Congress is the one that is supposed to have, as we noted earlier, the power of the purse strings. We're supposed to be the ones directing spending, not the administration for lots of the reasons we talked about today. And so, um, so Congress should be able to direct certain projects. So for example, I have Barksdale Air Force Base in, in, in our district n near your hometown, right? Um, it, it's the home of the two thirds of the nuclear triad. It's the Global Strike Command headquarters with a four star general in command and all the B-52s are housed there. It's our nuclear arsenal, right? Um, they need an entrance gate into the uh, into the base. If, if I put in a request for that entrance gate to be funded, that's not for my district. That's not a public park across from my house. That's for, for our national security, our defense. It's, it's so that we can defeat China, Iran, Russia, North Korea, and our adversaries. Um, that, that, that is labeled an earmark right now. That's, that's, a, gives a bad name. So d does all the crazy pork bar barrel spending project need to stop? I mean, we, we have senators who are retiring, who engineered this $1.7 trillion omnibus monstrosity, and they put in hundreds of millions of dollars for pet projects and buildings to be named after themselves in their states like Alabama. That's, that is outrageous. It has to stop, but you, you there's gotta be a happy medium somewhere where members of Congress can help direct exactly where the spending goes without having these self-serving vanity projects involved, you know, and, and no one's figured out yet exactly how to find the happy medium, because if Congress is not allowed to put in directed spending, then what you say is, is what happens. Then the White House is the one that decides how all the money is directed. We just send them large pots of money and they get to decide where it goes. That's not how the system's supposed to work either. So we, we've got to figure that out. And that's part of the process reforms in the new Congress is to, to find the happy medium where it's not abused, but where members of Congress are good stewards of the money so that the White House doesn't waste it. That's a, that's a mouthful for a very simple and really important question and a, and a really important issue for going forward. Next time you come back, we'll talk about the 2024 election 
the presidential side. Won't get in it there. Let me just say this. We always are just pleased. Our audience, our biggest listen-to show after the, fa- uh, after the fact in the podcast world is the shows in which you come and join us, and I want to thank you for that. Oh, well, that's, that's a high compliment. You're doing a great job, Dan, and I'm a big fan myself, and I, I pray that in the new year your, uh, your platform's expanded even further and the audience grows because they need to, everybody needs to hear your viewpoint what you have to say. Mine pretty much echoes you. Thanks for the input all the time. You got it. You got hey, it. you, you Kelly, you Kelly and the fam, you guys have a great Christmas and a great new year. And we are so thankful for what you're doing in DC for all of us. You got it, brother. Same to y'all. God bless. See you, my friend. See you later. Mike Johnson, Congressman from the fourth congressional district in Louisiana. And, uh, he's on the cutting edge of all of this. And let me tell you one thing about him. I don't know about any other congressman. I have a good relationship with Steve Scalise. Even though he's not up here in North Louisiana, he's down in the uh, New Orleans area. Most of these people are really difficult to interact with, in part because they're very busy, and in part because there are a lot of people like us that want to reach out to them. But Mike understands. You heard what he said. If people don't watch Fox News... They only have a couple of places to go to get the facts, places like here. And so I want to thank him for coming. And as you heard, we wish he and Kelly and their kids, they got a great family, uh, a great Christmas. All of you, today is special. It's the last broadcast day of TNN Live before Christmas. And we told you yesterday about there are so many great Christmas songs out there, and we've been playing two, three, or four every day on the show. We're not going to play that many today, but we dug out from um, the garbage can <laughs> a Christmas song. I told this story yesterday. Let me tell you again real quickly. Years ago, many years ago, uh, I did the morning show on KVKI. It's an FM station in Shreveport, Louisiana. And... Um, our boss, the general manager of the station, his name was Billy Wilson, longtime radio guy. And he would come in about 9 o'clock every day. And when he parked in the back of the studio uh, area, he, when he walked in, he would walk right by the door to the main studio where we were broadcasting live. And so one day in the Christmas season, very early on, now we have no, we can't change the music that we play. I know many people think when you call in request, unless it's a specific request hour or something like that, it's really hard for the people on the air to change it because it's automatically put together and programmed through a computer. Well, the song you're about to hear was programmed and it came in on the computer and I played it. I hadn't heard it before and I played it. And when he came in, he went postal. Take that song off the air right now. Now, why would the general manager of a radio station say that? Well, you tell me after this. Oh, Grandma, she's gone. Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa as for me and Grandpa, we believe She 
She'd been drinking too much eggnog And we begged her not to go But she forgot her medication And she staggered out the door into the snow When we found her Christmas morning At the scene of the attack She had hoof prints on her forehead And incriminating claws marks on her back Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Now we're all so proud of Grandpa He's been taking this so well See him in there watching football Drinking beer and playing cards with Cousin Mel It's not Christmas without Grandma All the family's dressed in black And we just can't help but wonder Should we open up her gifts or send them back? Send them back! Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Now the goose is on the table And the pudding made of fig ah, And the blue and silver candles That would just have matched the hair in Grandma's wig I've warned all my friends and neighbors Better watch out for yourselves They should never give a license To a man who drives a sleigh and plays with elves Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Sing it, Grandpa Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Merry Christmas <laughs> I think you probably know now why the station manager came in during the song and said, get that off the air and blankety blank, blank, blank. Don't ever let me hear it play again on this radio station, which I had no, no say so over. So anyway, it is, that's a, um, that's the only song this famous singing group ever recorded. And I think you can understand why. You'll re- recognize the names. The artists in the song were Elmo and Patsy. <laughs> That's a medley of their hit. Well, Merry Christmas to you all. We've got some very important things to weigh into this morning. Very important. We're so thankful, Congressman Mike Johnson, as he still is busy. He's got to vote on that 
massive $1.7 trillion funding bill, omnibus bill, they called it, and you heard him go off on it. You should have been on the phone with him before the show. Oh, my gosh. He went crazy. But we're very thankful that he came by and uh, gave us a Christmas update on a lot of things. For those of you that may have missed it, all or part of it, after the show today, we will put it up as a special feature at our podcast sites. And you know where you can go get them. Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitch In, iHeartRadio Podcast, all of them. TNN Live, just go look for the latest show today. And so why don't we get into the meat of the show, a Christmas show, We're going to play two or three more Christmas songs. I mean, legitimate ones. This is one of the most popular and the most recognizable Christmas songs ever. It's Andy Williams. It's the most wonderful time of the With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the half happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the season of all There'll be parties for hosting marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago It's the most wonderful time of the Much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the Scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time Oh, the most wonderful time Of the year Now that is a good Christmas song. That's a true Christmas song. Andy Williams, most wonderful time of the year. Got to be honest with you, I must acknowledge it. I must agree with Andy Williams. I love Christmas We have a pretty large extended family, and we all get together every Christmas, all of us, and it's wonderful. If I forget to tell you today, let me just tell you right now, 
Merry Christmas, y'all. Y'all, that's what we say here in the South. And we're in the South getting some real Christmas weather. No snow or sleet anything. We really don't like sleet, but no snow either. But we got 10 degrees right now. So it kind of feels like Christmas where many of you are. So we've got to weigh in on some really important things that uh, have happened in the last 24 hours. You heard Mike Johnson give us the lay of the land on the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill. He gave us some other news and information that we didn't have. But we've got some for you now, and we're going to get right to it. And we're going to go pretty fast today because we've already burned an hour and 35 minutes of the show, most of it with Congressman Mike Johnson. So we got to do some uh, some business stuff. We'll be back in two minutes and weigh into all of the really important stuff. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network sets your table. And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman. Our president has got a lot of first in his two-year administration. First to do certain things. He delivered a Christmas address yesterday without saying the word Jesus. Not one time. Probably, in my knowledge, at least in my lifetime, I can say this honestly, his first president that would ever do that. He calls in addition to not using the word Jesus or Savior, he called for Americans to drain political poison. Oh my gosh. Here's a quote. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. 
That's his opening statement as he delivered his address to reporters in the White House. He spoke about a child born on Christmas, but didn't speak the child's name. We look to the sky to a lone star, he said, shining brighter than all the rest, guiding us to the birth of a child, a child that Christians believe to be the Son of God, he said. He also spoke several times about the light and peace at the heart of Christmas. That light is still with us, illuminating our way forward as Americans and citizens of the world. A light that burned at the beginning and at Bethlehem, he said. By the way, by the way, um, we're not citizens of the world. I don't know about you, but I'm citizen of the United States of America. He used the Christmas holiday to ask you and I to unite around shared values rather than getting caught up in political bitterness. I sincerely hope this holiday season will drain the poison that has infected our politics and set us against one another, he said. He also looked and asked for you and me to look beyond our political beliefs when we interact with others. And look, he said, really look at each other, not as Democrats or Republicans, not as members of Team Red or Team Blue, but as who we really are fellow Americans. He called for all of us, everyone, to conduct act of kindness for each other during the Christmas season. It might just be the best gift that you can ever give. And of course, that entire speech, that was it was written for him. We all know that. He had a teleprompter. We all know that. He can't talk publicly to anybody, it seems, without a teleprompter. But the most divisive president in my history, in my lifetime, I'm 69. He is the most divisive ever. He beat his former boss desperately with just this speech, Barack Obama. Basically, what Democrat means, now listen closely to what I'm telling you. You never hear at Truth News Network, we never called the Democrat Party the Democrat Party. Because it's not democratic. It's not. We use the term the Democrat Party. They use the term the Democratic Party. The Democrat Party is not democratic. It is not sold out on the democratic philosophy of everybody is guaranteed, not guaranteed that you can have everything, because your government's going to provide it for you. That's the Democrat Party way. The democratic process is you are guaranteed by our Constitution, and every American is guaranteed by our Constitution. Your full equality with other Americans. And you are guaranteed that you have equal rights to give you the same opportunities to do things and create things and get things based upon your hard work as every other person that lives here. You have the same opportunities. The government won't step in and put its thumb on the scales, which is exactly what this president has his administration doing from top to bottom. If you heard the 
conversation I had with Congressman Mike Johnson just to start the show today. Um, they have really, they have really gone overboard in the FBI, Joe Biden's FBI. And they are out there, even though they've been outed by Twitter, Elon Musk released their own tweets to the American people in Twitter dump number seven. It shows the FBI purposefully created an environment, a communication channel, a two-way communication channel between the FBI and Twitter regarding censoring Americans through Twitter. And of course they denied it. Let me just let me just do this. Let me I'm looking at the stories that I have. Gosh, we've got so many of them today. Yeah. Here's the latest response to Elon Musk and his Twitter dump from the FBI. You're going to love this. Yesterday, the FBI responded to the Elon Musk endorsed Twitter files releases that appear to show their words. The FBI says, oh, it appears to show, and it didn't appear to, it did. It showed the FBI worked closely with Twitter alleging that conspiracy theorists are trying to discredit the Bureau. I'm going to quote. This is their reply. The correspondence between the FBI and Twitter show nothing more than examples of our traditional, long-standing, and ongoing federal government and private sector engagements, which involve numerous companies over multiple sectors and industries. As evidenced in the correspondence, the FBI provides critical information to the private sector in an effort to allow them to protect themselves and their customers. The men and women of the FBI work every day to protect the American public. This is from the statement. It is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. Now, the statement didn't elaborate on who considers who it is that the FBI considers conspiracy theorists. Since early December, you know this, Musk has released files to several independent journalists, including Michael Schellenberger, Matt Taibbi, and Barry Weiss, as well as The Intercept's Lee Fang. This week, Schellenberger posted files related to the Hunter Biden laptop story, posted messages showing the FBI working to discredit the report and keeping it from being spread through social media platforms in October of 2020, duh, weeks before the election that year. Schellenberger said this, quote, what I quickly put together is a pattern where it appears the FBI agents, along with former FBI agents within the company, were engaged in a disinformation campaign aimed at top Twitter and Facebook executives, as well as at top news organization executives to basically prepare them, prime them, get them set up to dismiss Hunter Biden information when it would be released. That's Schellenberger. Other released internal emails show FBI officials flagging specific accounts for Twitter to take action against. On November 3rd, FBI field officials 
Elvis Chan, flagged 25 different accounts. This is in one email, including news outlet Right Side Broadcasting Network that created posts that, quote, may warrant additional action due to the accounts being utilized to spread misinformation about the upcoming election. Another email dated November 10th showed that four accounts may potentially constitute violations of Twitter's terms of service for any action or inaction deemed appropriate within Twitter policy. Now, let me ask you this. This is the FBI making a determination of a tweet on an account, The well, four accounts, four accounts, the FBI is telling Twitter, hey, in case you missed it, these four accounts may potentially constitute violations of your terms of service for any action or inaction deemed appropriate within Twitter policy. What the heck is the FBI that we pay, taxpayers pay, they are saying what they were doing, they weren't weighing in or trying to tip the scales. They were just notifying Twitter and other social media outlets that somebody may be doing something that you don't like. Is that what the FBI is supposed to do? You know the obvious answer. Whoever pinned that for FBI Director Christopher Ray, that response is full of caca. And you can quote me on that. The FBI is, was, and until something happens from the outside to make it change, they are in the tank for Democrat Party policies and top-down government policies that have nothing to do, nothing to do with the rule of law. Now, that's an oxymoron. That's what the FBI, their sole purpose in existence is to protect us against those who break the laws in the United States. The CIA is supposed to investigate wrongdoing against American people and American government from the outside of the continental United States. I mean, conceptually, the two work together perfectly unless one or both decide they're going to become politicized and take sides with one political party And to do that effectively, they've got to denigrate everybody in the other political party. And that's what they've been doing. How long do you think it's been going on? Do you think it it just started in November of last year? (laughs) Come on now. Surely you don't think that. If you do, bless your heart. Okay, just quickly, a little bit coming out of that $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that passed in the Senate. We told you, we talked about it with Congressman Johnson just a bit ago, 18 Senate Republicans voted for it. 18 Republicans in the Senate voted for it. The final vote was 68 to 29. So maybe you need to pull out a, notepad right now so you can write down these names. I'm going to read them quickly because I know you're going to want to send every one of these 18 a after Christmas or a Happy New Year card next week. 18 of them, Republican senators, 
Roy Blunt of Missouri. He's retiring. John Boozman of Arkansas. Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia. Susan Collins from Maine. John Cornyn from Texas. And Tom Cotton from Arkansas. Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. Those specifically and especially frost me. I mean, Tom Cotton, he's considered to be one of the most conservative members of the U.S. Senate. Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma, Mitch McConnell, no surprise there, Jerry Moran of Kansas, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Robert Portman of Ohio, he's retiring, Mitt Romney, oh, that's a shocker, Mike Rounds, Richard Shelby from Alabama, he's retiring, and he got, I talked to Mike Johnson about earmarks, Richard Shelby got millions of dollars of earmarks for his pet causes in Alabama. John Thune of South Dakota, also Roger Wicker of Mississippi, and Todd Young of Indiana. Every one of them voted in favor of the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that not a single person has read. And if they started Tuesday morning, in the wee hours of the morning when it was released, if they started then reading it all, they wouldn't have it finished. I don't care if you're a speed reader until late spring or early summer. This is what the legislative process at the federal level has become all about. Don't use regular order. I talked to Congressman Johnson about that. That means that a bill from top to bottom, from initial initiation to passing or denying passage, it's supposed to take weeks, if not months, so that every part of it is vetted, discussed, maybe amended, maybe thrown out of a bill, in committee first, before it ever goes to the floor to be discussed and then voted on, maybe. 4,155 pages? It would take a year to get it done and get it done right. Mitt Romney of Ohio, former Republican president candidate that got beat. He said yesterday, when he was asked, why did you back that $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill? And here's what he said. House Republicans say they want to craft a budget, but they haven't yet been able to select a speaker. And he did not trust House Republicans to handle crafting a budget in light of Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy of California's difficult campaign for Speaker of the House. Mike Johnson just told you, the House crafted a balanced budget for the United States of America. It's already done for this year, this fiscal spending year. Obviously, Mitt Romney He can't read, or he chose not to read. Even if they could take on these two things at the same time, he said, it would need Democrats in the Senate to pass this, of which Romney is one, by the way. He claimed that the resulting compromise legislation would end up at a higher number than the $1.7 trillion in the bill. Romney noted entitlement spending was twice the amount of the omnibus bill. Republican Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona launched an unsuccessful challenge to McCarthy to become the House Republican Speaker. He lost 
by 188 to 31 in a vote on November 15th. Biggs announced December 6th he would still run for the post in spite of McCarthy being the Republican nominee for House Speaker. McCarthy is so weak, he'll promise anything to anyone. That's from Matt Gates, Republican from Florida. McCarthy, or anybody else for that matter, has got to get 218 votes to become Speaker of the House. And just so you know it, uh, even though the Republican Party will be in the majority in the House, still in the minority in the Senate, but as majority party leading the House of Representatives, they don't have total sole power over who's going to lead the House of Representatives. It takes a vote of every member, all 435. So with that number, if all of the members of the House actually vote, it will take 218 votes for anybody, including McCarthy, to become House Speaker. At least five Republicans have said they're not going to back McCarthy, prompting Donald Trump to warn they were playing a very dangerous game. This campaign even against McCarthy, they're campaigning against him, some of these Republicans. It triggered a political feud between Republican reps Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, who backs McCarthy, and Lauren Boebert of Colorado, who doesn't. I am sick and tired of drama and power plays coming from Washington that only create headlines but produce zero results. That's what Green wrote in an opinion editor piece for the DCNF. Some House Republicans were so outraged when the Senate passed that omnibus spending package, despite their calls for a delay until the Republican majority took office, They say they're not going to back anybody that Republicans put up. McCarthy didn't immediately respond when asked about this news that came out. He's still pushing, and he's still pretty confident that he is going to become House Speaker. Here's how it works. On the first day they're in, January 3rd, they are supposed to, and usually do on the first day of the majority party if it changes, When they get together, the first thing they do is elect their leadership. But if he doesn't get 218, what happens is all of the things Congressman Mike Johnson shared with us that this Republican House of Representatives has got to do, none of that will even be able to be started until who is going to be the House Speaker is determined. Wow. It's Friday, day before the day before Christmas. We shouldn't be talking about this kind of stuff. This should all be settled. We should have all of this behind us, and we could just get together with our families. Most people around the nation, if you can travel and you're going to be with your extended family members, usually the plans are to do that on Christmas Eve. The way our family always did it, my wife's parents lived in a little town, Minden, Louisiana. It's about 25, maybe 30 miles east of Shreveport. And for those of you that don't know where Shreveport is, it's in the extreme northwest corner of the state of Louisiana. Everybody thinks, oh, well, you just run across town to go to New Orleans. Any kind of Louisiana city, that's what you do. New Orleans is 350 miles from Shreveport, but Minden is 25, 30 miles east. Christmas Eve, 
Marianne had three sisters. Everybody had families. Everybody showed up at Big Boy and Mama's house on Christmas Eve. And Santa always came there as long as we had Santa babies. And now our Santa babies have babies. It's always been a tradition. Sadly, Big Boy passed away and Mama is in a nursing home. And got to be honest with you, she's holding on for life right now. 97. She's had a long run and is a very wonderful woman. We hate to deal with this this time of year. But you know what? Just like life happens, death happens, I don't know of any other way that I'm going to get out of here without dying. Same thing holds true for you. Let's pause for just a moment for a little peace and tranquility. Christmas music. Greeting cards have all been sent The Christmas rushes through But I still have one wish to make A special one for you Merry Christmas, darling We're apart, that's true But I can dream And in my dreams I'm Christmasing with you Holidays are joyful There's always something new But every day is a holiday I wish it every day The logs on the fire Fill me with desire To see you and to say That I wish you Merry Christmas Happy New Year to
best Christmas songs ever written and, of course, performed there by Karen and Richard Carpenter and the Carpenters Group. She had the most distinct voice, and she was phenomenal. And, of course, Richard, he's the one that mastered the four-part harmony that the group, um, the Carpenters, were known for. You put all that together, do it during Christmas, (laughs) what a wonderful sound. What a really wonderful sound. We have much more to talk about. You may not know this or not, but the January 6th committee, their report came out. It was full of uh, stuff, nothing really truthful, nothing really damning, a lot of alleged stuff, and we knew that was going to happen, that you went after solely Donald Trump. But some news is out, some information about some other stuff that happened on January 6th. And guess what? It's pretty damning of outgoing Speaker of the House, Pelosi. That's next. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? that we freshly bake goodies throughout the day. Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. It's Super Salmon Days down at Fish Brothers. For a limited time, bring in any fish and get a child salmon entree free. You heard right. Bring in any fish and get a free child salmon entree. And I mean any fish. Got a swordfish lying around? Bring it in. Got a goldfish you're sick of feeding? Bring it in. Got a fish that's been sitting in the sun for a few days? Bring it in. We'll throw it in with the rest of them. What we do with the fish is nobody's business but ours. Just enjoy your salmon $8.99 with our famous stew. So, welcome on into Fish Brothers Seafood Themed Restaurant, where everything's a great catch. Except the shrimp. So what do you got going on? I mean, it, it is not Christmas Eve. It's really not the Christmas time, but it is the Christmas time of year. You're running around doing last-minute Christmas shopping. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think most of mine is done, but I won't really know for sure until I get through with the show today and I sit down and, and go, whew, and think through and try to come up with um, with some other stuff to do. Hopefully, I'm done. So, I told you about House Speaker Pelosi and some stuff coming out that uh, doesn't look too good for her. A month after the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot, House Speaker Pelosi deflected any suggestion that she or her Capitol staff could have influenced the security that failed that day when the Capitol was breached. She said, I have no power over the Capitol Police, she declared. We brought to you when she said that. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The existing majority leader of the Senate and the Speaker of the House have always been over the goings-on in the Capitol. It's always been that way. Now, two years after she said that, two years, 
that claim is challenged by text and email messages that were made public by five House Republicans that show her staff had direct contact with the officials who planned the security, even edited some of the plans and notifications in the days before the tragedy struck. The revelations were released day before yesterday in a House GOP report. They're prompting serious questions about whether the January 6th Capitol breach could have been prevented while creating a new push for Republicans to summon Pelosi for her testimony after they take over in the House next month. Representative Troy Nels, a Republican from Texas, said January 6th should have never happened. The reason there wasn't a proper security presence on that day goes right to the Speaker's staff and the Speaker's office. Now that's according to Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio. He's the soon-to-be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. The Republican port, which also includes the work of Representatives Jim Banks of Indiana, Rodney Davis of Illinois, and Kelly Armstrong, it provided a meticulous, I like that word, meticulous fact-based recounting of how Pelosi's staff began meeting and communicating with security planners in the House Sergeant-at-Arms office in early December, way before the Capitol breach happened, continuing all the way through the final 48 hours before the attacks. Those communications back and forth were occurring as Capitol Police began receiving detailed intelligence that some extremist groups were discussing storming the Capitol, attacking lawmakers, targeting the tunnels beneath the complex, and blocking the planned certification of the 2020 election results. I want to point something out now. All of those communications, now I'm talking they did not just get them from Nancy Pelosi's office. They got them from the FBI. They got them from the CIA. They got them from the Department of National Intelligence. All of those reports came in that said, hey, there's a lot of chatter out there about really bad groups getting in the flow of what is planned for the turning over of the government on January 6th. Capitol Police whistleblowers told the congressman, Jim Jordan, there were ample and detailed warnings that violence would occur on January 6th, but the leadership of the Capitol Police failed to adjust the security plan to address the threat while the political leadership in Congress repeatedly refused to provide resources to secure the building. Remember this, the President of the United States personally, weeks before the January 6th event, he reached out to the Army and National Guard and requested there to be a massive presence of Guard troops in D.C. that day. His request went then to the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi. And they both said, no, 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 we don't need anybody, as did the mayor of Washington, D.C. One officer discussed how he went to the Capitol unaware of the threat assessment with only a police cap as his equipment. 
Others revealed that congressional security leaders turned down resources like armed officers or National Guard troops ahead of the tragedy because of their concern about what it would look like. All these cops armed to the teeth. We don't want that perception to be out there. Now, $600 million a year is what American taxpayers are paying for the Capitol Police to be there. Think about that. Almost two-thirds of a billion dollars. And that Capitol Police that we pay so much for was set up to fail. And there have been scant signs of progress toward addressing the weakness since the attack. Now, that's coming in this report. And if you want to see that report, check it out on um, justthenews.com. It's really interesting. You need to check it out. While the mainstream news media and Democrats have suggested that Pelosi and other congressional leaders were not to blame for what happened, internal messages of House security planners pointed, they just slammed Pelosi and her appropriators for failing to provide the resources needed to secure the Capitol. After she and House Sergeant-at-Arms Paul Irving, she forced Paul Irving to resign following the devastating events of January 6th, for instance. A staffer in the House Sergeant-at-Arms office sent a stinging email suggesting Democrat leadership had made Irving and Capitol Police Chief Steve Sund the fall guys to cover up the failure of these lawmakers to provide adequate security resources for the speaker's knee-jerk reaction to yesterday's unprecedented event. And God knows how Congress lives for its knee-jerk reactions and to hell with future consequences to immediately call for your resignation after you've been denied again and again by appropriations the proper security outfitting of the Capitol. And I wrote several of those testimonies, dang it. And to blame you personally because our department was doing the best they could with what they had and our comparatively small department size and limited officer resources and because other agencies stepped in to assist just a fraction too late, again for Congress to demand your resignation is spectacularly unjust unfair, and unwarranted. That's one staffer who wrote Irving. That was part of what the letter said, according to the email included in the report. This is not your fault, the staffer added, or son's fault. If anything, appropriation should be hung out to dry. This is another blockbuster report. They just come out every day now. And this one's not from Elon Musk, (laughs) The new report also corroborated, by the way, prior prior reporting. The Capitol Police began getting specific warnings in the middle of December that there could be significant violence planned against the Capitol and lawmakers. By whom? By protesters planning to attend the certification of the 2020 election results. Prior to that day, the U.S. Capitol Police had obtained sufficient information from an array of channels to anticipate and prepare for the violence that occurred. The Capitol Police issued a statement Wednesday night that did not challenge any of the findings of the report, but rather vowed 
to accelerate changes to improve security. For nearly two years, our officers, officials, and civilian employees have been working around the clock to address many of these findings and similar findings from a series of post-January 6 reviews. We value everyone's input, and we are confident the U.S. Capitol complex is more secure because of the hard work of our brave men and women and because of the resources provided by the Congress to turn recommendations into results. That came directly from the Capitol Police. And oh, by the way, Pelosi's office won't talk to anybody, won't make any comments. Congressman Banks said the Republican report helps counter a Democrat narrative that ignored security failures by the police and political leadership. Our report exposes the partisanship, the incompetence and indifference that led to the disaster on January 6th and the leading role Speaker Pelosi and her office played in the security failure at the Capitol. Unlike the sham January 6th committee, House Republicans produced a useful report that will keep Capitol and Capitol Police officers safe with no subpoena power and no budget. Now, this report, if you read it, it doesn't sugarcoat the behavior of pro-Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol. That's important. It said on January 6th, criminal rioters assaulted police officers, broke the U.S. Capitol, damaged property, temporarily interfered with the certification of state's presidential and vice presidential electors at the joint session of Congress, a typically pro forma event. But it's most Explosive revelations involved text and email messages showing that two key staffers, in Pelosi's office, by the way, attended regular meetings talking about the security plan for that day, dating all the way back to early December, and that Pelosi's top aide even edited some of the plans. Most of those discussions and meetings excluded Republican lawmakers in the House. Why would they do that? Keep them out of the out of the circle. Then House Sergeant at Arms Paul Irving, who served on the Cap- Capitol Police Board by virtue of his position, succumbed to political pressures from the office of Speaker Pelosi and House leadership dealer, uh, Democrat leadership, leading up to January 6th. He coordinated closely with the Speaker and her staff and left Republicans out of important discussions related to security. It's pretty exhaustive, folks. And once again, you can get it at justthenews.com, justthenews.com. The story that part of I just shared with you will pop up immediately. Halfway down the page, there's a hyperlink and you can click on it, it will give you a PDF final report of investigation. You can read everything that happened there. And I encourage you, if you don't want to read it, get it, keep it, because somebody's going to say something about it. Believe me, because the Republicans are taking the majority of the House, this will be brought up and investigated, and you're going to hear all kinds of crap about it. A bunch of crap, I'm sure, will come from Pelosi, I don't know if you know this or not, she would not even put herself up for an interview by the January 6th committee about anything. 
She wouldn't talk to him. She denied giving them any evidence whatsoever about the January 6th attack. She wouldn't let anybody testify before the committee on her staff about it. That's interesting, isn't it? Just when you think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. If you were here and listened to that interview, started the show with Congressman Mike Johnson, you heard the frustration in my voice as I asked him some really salient questions, not about pointing fingers, but about fixing the stuff that needs to be fixed. What are we going to do about all this? Are we going to talk about it? Or are we going to have committee hearings and have television on and excoriate these people that were involved in the wrongdoing and then nothing happens? That's the normal flow of these kind of uh, investigation committees that come up after the fact. I hope these Republicans will have the guts to hold all those accountable of wrongdoing. And I'm talking about all of those accountable, the people that are out there that the FBI, many of they have in jail. They arrested over 700 people that were there. They identified as being there. And some of those 700 were involved in that wrongdoing outside. But a bunch of that most certainly wouldn't have happened if Pelosi had gotten involved in the process and done what was recommended that needed to get done so that the January 6th riot would never have happened. And she just let it go purposely. That's coming out, and more and more of that will show. It'll point a finger at her and the finger at Chuck Schumer, majority leader of the Senate. They were the ones that were over the security of the Capitol. One of the star witnesses at the January 6th committee scripted hearings, Cassidy Hutchison, she's being called out for alleged inconsistencies. That's a veiled, I guess a nice way to say, her alleged lies in her testimony following the release of the committee's final report. Specifically, she testified that she heard Deputy Chief of Staff Tony Arnato say that he heard Robert Engel, the U.S. Secret Service agent on January 6th, claim that Trump tried to seize the wheel of his car to force it to drive to the Capitol. You remember that report? The testimony was not only hearsay, testifying about what a witness heard someone else say, but hearsay upon hearsay. Reports came out after Hutchinson's testimony that Arnato and Engel were prepared to testify to contradict what she said. Hutchinson also made disputed claims about what White House counsel Pat Cipollone told her. During her testimony, Hutchinson claimed that Cipollone told her to tell her boss, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, that former President Trump should not go to the Capitol on January 6th. Hutchison testified that Cipollone said, quote, we're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if Trump went to the Capitol. However, Cipollone was reportedly not at the White House the morning of January 6th. That's according to the Human Events Senior Editor, Jack Posobiec. 
The final report includes a footnote in which Hutchison is said to admit she was unsure. While Cipollone did not specifically recall talking with Cassidy Hutchison about this topic, he informed the select committee that he was sure that he did express his view to some people. Hutchison believes it was Pat Cipollone, but also testified that it may have been a different lawyer. The testimony to which the footnote refers is the transcript of her closed-door deposition to the committee, and not her public testimony. In fact, the committee may have implicated itself in her misleading testimony. On June 28th, Representative Liz Cheney, that bastion of conservatism, used to serve as a congresswoman, a Republican from Wyoming. She's leaving. Because why? In her primary election for re-election in Wyoming, in her primary election, she got thumped by 30 points by somebody that had never been in Congress. So anyway, Liz Cheney's gone. She allegedly publicly accepted Hutchison's claim that she has spoken with Cipollone without asking whether she was certain. Hutchison privately said she was unsure in February. Another controversy came up yesterday from transcripts of her closed-door depositions on other dates. Hutchison told the committee in September that some former White House lawyers tried to pressure her to change her testimony to protect the president. One of the lawyers she named publicly disputed that. In a statement, a spokesperson for lawyer Eric Hirschman called Hutchison's testimony not accurate. That's the lawyer's way of saying she lied. Mr. Hirschman was asked to see if he would speak with her. He agreed to do so. She told Mr. Hirschman that she was desperate, had no money, needed to find a lawyer. Mr. Hirschman never put her in contact with any lawyer. No one discussed her testimony with Mr. Hirschman, nor did anyone ever try to confirm with him whether her testimony was accurate. The only thing he ever said to her about her testimony was to be truthful. The idea that Mr. Hirschman needed or wanted any protection from Cassidy Hutchison or anyone else is ludicrous. Now, in comes the New York Times. Another bastion of honesty and truthfulness. In a statement through a spokesman, Mr. Hirschman disputed parts of Miss Hutchison's testimony. She told Mr. Hirschman that she was desperate, had no money, needed to find a lawyer, the statement said. Mr. Hirschman never put her in contact with any lawyer. No one discussed her testimony with Mr. Hirschman, nor did anyone ever try to confirm with him whether her testimony was accurate. The only thing he ever said to her about her testimony was to be truthful. Hutchison's credibility as a disinterested witness was also contradicted when she and Cheney embraced in the hearing room after her June testimony, undermining the idea that the investigation was objective or impartial. The full report of the January 6th committee was released on Thursday, and it's nearly 850 pages. Another long read, and another 
will probably never know all the truth because there was tons of, uh, I don't want to say lying, but tons of misinformation. Wow. Gosh, we only have 30 minutes left on the show. Got some information I want you to listen to. And it comes in the latest information about the FBI's response to the claims that were released in Twitter dump number, Twitter files dump number seven, that showed explicitly the FBI was directly involved with back and forth conversations with a multitude of people at Twitter. And lots of requests were made by the FBI regarding pulling down or closing or editing Twitter users' statements and accounts. And of course, they came out and denied it. And the big gorilla in the FBI conversations at Twitter before the election was the Hunter Biden story. The FBI was committed. We can't let that story get out to the public. So the FBI will not comment on whether they met with the Biden campaign before the 2020 election. And today it will not disavow passing any information to Twitter about Hunter Biden. What do you think of these new developments? Well, I mean, it just goes to show that with all of the new information we're receiving with the Twitter files, the story is still very, very incomplete. We don't know what Facebook, what the FBI was saying to other FBI agents, so their interagency communications. We don't know what the FBI was saying to the Biden campaign. You know, Elon Musk hasn't taken over these entities. I think the only way we're ultimately going to get to the bottom of these issues is in a congressional hearing next year. So, you know, the other thing, too, is, John, you know, critics say Twitter is a private company. It's allowed to do what it wants. But that understates that billions of Twitter's users worldwide use Twitter for news and information. And Twitter and social media get federal government protection from third party lawsuits. And there's also this. John, the Twitter files show FBI officials worked with former FBI and intelligence officials employed at Twitter to bury the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop story. The media didn't cover it. NPR said at the time it, quote, was a non-story, a waste of time. But the Twitter files show NPR's CEO worked on damage control with Twitter, running media meetings at the Aspen Institute, which is funded by Joe Biden's donors, to shape how the media reported on the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York Times, NBC, Facebook showed up at those Aspen meetings, according to the Twitter files. John, what do you think of that? Well, let's not forget who funds NPR, I might add. But what you see from that meeting at the Aspen Institute was just a consistent effort uh, by the FBI to prime the pump. And as you see, an, F- an, uh, an effort that was there was complicity between major news organizations to prime the pump that there was going to be some kind of Hunter Biden related story coming. When I'll remind everyone that the FBI knew about the Hunter hard drive because they'd had it since 2019 because of the hard drive, the laptop repairman gave them a copy. So they put out this false narrative about Russian disinformation when they knew it wasn't true in an attempt to sort of kill the story before it could come out because they knew it was coming. So the FBI could have authenticated it in 2019, but then pushed that it was, you know, they pushed the storyline from Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, that it was Russian disinformation. They sabotaged Senator Chuck Grassley and Senator Ron Johnson's Senate report in 2020. The FBI meets with them and their teams, then leaks that they met 
to the media to basically say, oh, this is Russian disinformation. So there's still no statement from former President Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer on what the and that the fact that NBC, CBS, CNN, New York Times and Washington Post authenticated parts and much of the Hunter Biden laptop, how the Biden family was cashing in on Biden's government job in places like China, Russia, Kazakhstan and more. Right. I mean, you know, it's important to remember during this period where he's running around in China and Ukraine making millions and millions of dollars, Hunter Biden didn't produce anything. He didn't really sell anything. He didn't have any business. He didn't manufacture anything. His, the only thing he was selling was access to his father. And that, and that was something that generated millions of dollars. And we need to know, you know, what promises were made to get that access, how successful was that access, and is the president compromised today? And, and the, the, the issue, too, John, we don't know this angle of the story. So you go to China, you bring your phone. China's telecoms are known to have military intelligence and spies inside there. They could easily hack a government official's phone. They could hack Hunter Biden's phone. That's a national security ri risk. Final word, John. I mean, it's absolutely a national security risk. And I'll remind you, at the time he was running all of these schemes, he was an active drug and alcohol abuser. He was, according to his own memoir, snorting, you know, Parmesan cheese off the floor, thinking it was cocaine. So he was he would have been incredibly susceptible to any kind of number of, of schemes from the Chinese government to compromise him or to get access to his phone. And it's it's just all a very disturbing situation. Got it. John Levine, we'll have you back on. It's good to see you. Well, actually, Hunter said himself that he was looking anything and putting anything he could find on the floor in his crack pipe just had to get a crack pipe fired up. Yeah, could he be compromised? Come on now. I mean, for any of a number of reasons, and we all know them. But you know what? In the world in which we live, it seems to be it doesn't matter. If you do something wrong, it's okay if you don't get caught. And even when you get caught and you apologize for what you did wrong. There seem to be no political consequences if your last name is Biden or Obama. That's the world in which we live. Accountability for Democrats, some in office, not necessarily have to be in office, just be in a position of knowing the right people. They get away with everything. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. 
Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 double crispy cheesy burger. Well, hello. With two flame broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new double crispy cheesy burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new double crispy cheesy burger? The flame fresh taste. Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Get the new double crispy cheesy burger with double the flame fresh taste. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. In all of this insanity that's going on in D.C., we all heard about people on the left clamoring now for several years. Donald Trump refused to release his full tax returns. Now, there has been no push for any kind of legislation to force any president to release their tax returns in full. And, of course, there's been, um, in most cases, voluntarily, presidents in the past have done just that. In fact, most do every year. Trump claimed that he would not release his tax returns because they were wrapped up in an IRS audit. No one from the IRS said a word about it. Nobody said, yeah, that's true, or no, it's not true. Nevertheless, that was used as ammunition by the Democrat Party to denigrate Donald Trump and tell us he's hiding something. He's hiding stuff. And I'll never forget when that MSNBC former nighttime reporter, I won't even mention her name, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, she teased it for a day, 24 hours, I got one of Donald Trump's tax returns. I got it. I'm going to release it tonight on my show. And everybody tuned in. It's got to be something big for her to go on and on about it. Nobody noticed anything other than this. That one year, Donald Trump paid $15 million in federal income tax. I don't think anybody in the United States is mad because he didn't pay enough. I don't even remember any of the other numbers, but it died right after that. It just died. Well, as you probably heard, I think all four years of Donald Trump's tax returns were released this past week. And everybody expected there would be this massive craziness. See, we told you he was a thief. He was a thief. Well, Representative Jason Smith from Missouri yesterday on the floor of the House, he uh, raised some important issues, not just about Donald Trump's tax returns, but the push to force not everybody, but just one president to release his tax returns. Here's Representative Jason Smith from Missouri. Thank you. Uh, I think the gentleman from Texas. We are 12 days, 12 days until the Democrat majority 
does not exist. In 13 days, the Republican majority will be in charge. Americans are facing the highest spike in prices in 40 years because of the one-party Democrat rule in Washington, because of their reckless spending. The Ways and Means Committee is the committee that affects the economy more than any committee in all of Congress. And what does the House Democrats feel like their last 12 days, their biggest priority is, is not solving issues affecting working class Americans, but issues in targeting their main political opponents. This legislation is only cover for what they have been campaigning on for years, and that is to get Trump's tax returns. Let me tell you, if you don't believe me now, this is called the Mandatory Audit Program. It's about auditing all current and former presidents to make sure their tax returns are audited. But the chairman of this committee only requested how the mandatory audit program has worked for one president. One. And it was a Republican president. His name was Donald Trump. I asked on Tuesday, did you request a mandatory audit review process on Joe Biden? No. Did you request one on Obama? No. Clinton? No. Bush? No. Carter, no, but yes, only Trump. This is a cover for their political objective, and that is to target their political opponents. We've heard over and over that no one's above the law. That includes everyone in this chamber. On Tuesday, when we set in this markup, I raised the point how can you release the full tax returns with all the private personal information of the private citizens, their social security number, children's, children's social security numbers? And I said, we need an amendment to redact that information. I was told we're not going to vote on amendment. But everyone says that no one's above the law. We were told good faith. Good faith would redact the, 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 the full transcripts, and it would be decided by the majority staff. Has the minority staff been able to participate in it? No. We don't even know what the final documents of the tax returns that's going to be released, what they're going to look at. This was another example where you had to pass something before you know what's in it. That's what Pelosi's done this entire Congress. That is exactly what the Ways and Means Democrats did. They've charted a new territory for the Ways and Means Committee. It's the oldest committee in Congress. It's supposed to be the most bipartisan committee in Congress. But they ignited a new political tool that future Congresses will now utilize. I've traveled all over the country, 42 states just this year alone. And one thing that constantly kept coming up to me is, Congressman, look into President Biden's family and how they have been enriched by his position. In fact, banks have flagged over 150, over 150 red flags to Treasury. 
These are suspicious activity reports. Usually it's because they believe there's fraud or money laundering. And that's the Biden family bank accounts. What about, what about the fact that foreign governments are paying to have their principals in the same room as Joe Biden? Or the sale of U.S. natural gas to China, of which the Bidens held a 10% equity stake? Or business plans to sell one of the largest sources of cobalt for electric vehicles to China and $11 million made from Hunter Biden's, quote, work with a Ukraine firm and a Chinese businessman. Is it done? Like I said, over 150 red flags or suspicious activity reports filed by banks. Gentleman's time has expired. Wow. That's a bombastic report. And we only first heard about it from a young Republican from Missouri, Representative Jason Smith. The only audit report that has been requested is of Donald Trump, not of Joe Biden. And right now, we know Joe Biden financially is conflicted as President of the United States. Oh my gosh, we could just go on and on and on about that one thing. We're not going to do it. But let me let me just talk to you for a second about Donald Trump's income. Now, his tax returns have been released. And by the way, he has paid $1.1 million in taxes during his presidency. Okay, but, but follow along what that's all about. He and his wife, Melania paid a total of just more than $1.1 million in federal income tax over the course of his presidency in four years. Now, while his full tax returns haven't been released yet, the Democrat Control Committee published a report, and we all know what that report would be for, to make Donald Trump look as evil as they possibly could. The documents show that from 2015 through 2020, the Trumps jointly reported millions of dollars in income for each of the six years in capital gains, dividends, and interest. But here's the big one. Uh, Democrats are only going to focus on the top dollar gross income. For most of the period in question, 2015 through 2020, Most of the millions of dollars that they made in capital gains, dividends, and interest were offset by losses, with the Trumps reporting negative income in four of the six years. So while those losses reduced the Trumps' tax obligations, by the way, this is audited stuff, so these are factual. Over the course of six years, their total federal tax liability was $4.4 million. After the application of tax credits and excluding items like self-employment taxes, this narrowed a net tax of $1.8 million. So what about this committee? Well, obviously it's Democrat control. They also voted along partisan lines to release all six years of Trump's tax returns 
which are expected to be made public as soon as within several days. The ultimate disclosure of the filings will cap Trump's multi-year battle to keep his returns private. You can't learn much from tax returns, but it is illegal to release them if they are not yours. Trump wrote recently on Truth Social, and it is a fact. Congress has no authorization to release any private American's income taxes unless that person agrees to it. The question of whether to release Trump's tax returns has become a contentious issue. Republicans arguing that doing so would set a dangerous precedent. As you just heard, that young congressman said, if the IRS can go this far, if Congress can go this far and make every president get audited by the IRS, what does it mean it'll do to the American people? Tax returns are confidential. That's according to federal law. Exceptions, there are some, include written requests from the House Ways and Means Committee, which said it sought Trump's returns as part of its inquiry into how the IRS audits U.S. presidents. They only asked for Trump's returns, didn't they? The committee obtained Trump's returns in November after the Supreme Court opted against continuing to block the IRS from giving over the documents. In response to a tax scandal involving former President Richard Nixon, well, that's way back there in our rearview mirror, the IRS introduced mandated audits of presidential tax returns back in 1977. When concern arose over Nixon's returns and whether they were properly examined, the IRS established a procedure of mandatory audits for presidents and vice presidents. That's coming from House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Representative Richard Neal, a Democrat from Massachusetts. The policy is simple, and it states, quote, individual income tax returns for the president and vice president are subject to a mandatory examination. Now, let me just say this. The IRS, in this regard, they cannot make laws. So what does this mean? That means what you just heard, it's a policy. It's not law unless Congress passes it into law. Now, remember I told you about the Richard Nixon thing, the IRS introduced mandated audits of presidential tax returns. That was back in 1977. IRS can't make it it happen. It does not have the rule of law. The committee expected that these mandatory audits had been conducted promptly and in accordance with IRS policies. However, our review found that under the prior administration, The program was, surprisingly, it went dormant. Oh, no. That was the Obama-Biden presidency. Wow. That's telling, isn't it? Representative Kevin Brady of Texas, the top Republican on that House Ways and Means Committee, he opposed the release of Trump's tax returns. He argued 
that the information contained in these disclosures could be spun by political foes, you think? It's the power to embarrass, harass, or destroy Americans through disclosure of their tax returns, Brady said. After nearly a half century, the political enemies list is back in Washington, and we worry this will unleash a cycle of political retribution in Congress. A spokesman for Donald Trump told the Wall Street Journal that the release of his returns, Trump's returns, was an unprecedented leak by lame duck Democrats. Tax returns are confidential. That's according to law, except for we told you written requests from the House Ways and Means Committee, which said it did try to get Trump's returns. And they got them, but not until November. And now every American is going to be in the know about Trump's financial business, at least the part of it that is reported in detail in his tax returns. Some interesting news came out last night. Have you wondered why there are so many people that are just falling off the being employed roles but they're not out there looking for a job, so they're not officially unemployed. They're just not working. Why? What's that all about? Well, guess what came to light? Welfare payouts for a family of four exceed the national median household income in 24 states and top $100,000 annually in Washington, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. Now think about it, a family of four living on $100,000 in those states, Washington, Massachusetts, and New Jersey, it would be a close go to be able to do it. But obviously there are a bunch of people that are adding it up and saying, you know what, there's no, there's no benefit for me to go to work. Yeah, we could have a little extra income, but I don't know, I kind of like, I like getting paid hundred grand a year. And of course, if, if you're unemployed, there are a bunch of other outlets, opportunities, food, and other things, free health care, that make that $100,000 number go up. Many pandemic-related unemployment subsidies have expired, but the existing programs put together with a recent expansion of the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, continue to offer very substantial incentives for the unemployed. A study conducted by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, nonprofit co-founded by Steve Forbes, chairman of Forbes Media, and economist Arthur Laffer and Steve Moore, discovered that many well-playing jobs earn less than what government assistance can offer. In 14 states, the study found that electricians, teachers, construction workers, firefighters, and truckers can earn less than combined federal and state benefits. Washington State holds a record for the most generous benefit scheme. A family of four with two non-working parents can earn $122,000 a year. This put the earnings of unemployed Washingtonians far ahead of the national household media income of just $70,000. 50000 more in Washington State if you're unemployed. 
Mom and dad, unemployed. Not working has its tax advantages as well. Unemployment benefits have at least one tax advantage in all states. They're not subject to payroll taxes. In six states, Alabama, California, Montana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, benefits are also exempt from state income tax. These factors further tip the work versus welfare financial balance in favor of not working. In other words, folks, the United States of America has become a welfare state. What is a welfare state? That's one in which the government pays people directly, and therefore these people have no incentive to go to work. There we are. There we are. One famous orator back in our founding father's days, he said this, when the people in a country discover that what they're paying in taxes is more than they could make if they didn't work, that will be the beginning of the destruction of the United States of America. Never thought we'd see us being in that situation. But according to this study, folks, we are there. Listen, this will be the last time we speak before Christmas. I want to say best wishes to you all. Merry Christmas. I pray you have a great holiday season. I pray that you get to be with family and friends and be all together. And if you're not, if it's not a good Christmas, you got a lot of things going on, just remember this. Look around you. A lot of other people that you know in your circle that are going through really tough stuff as well. Love each other. Support each other. By the way, tell those close to you, I love you. Speak it, especially our spouses and our children. They need to hear that. Thank you for being part of the TNN Live Family Truth News Network. You have a great weekend. A great holiday. Merry Christmas. We'll see you on Monday at TNN Live.